the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Batches. I don't have to show you any stinking batches. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. You know what, Philip Bump? Philip Bump is a, a guy who writes over the Washington Post. You are a world-class a-hole. I'm going to get to that here in a minute, but I'm I'm a little hot under the collar after what I have read. I'll, I'll, as I said, let me introduce the program. Welcome everybody. It's the Chris Salcedo Show. That's kind of how we roll here. <laughs> kind of say what's on our minds. Triple eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three eight 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 nine zero zero three three nine three. We'll get to the uh, the individual that I just mentioned, Philip Bump, here in a moment. After I tell you how to uh, get in touch with the show on social media, go to theblaze.com slash radio, Blaze Radio smartphone app, iHeartRadio app if you want to listen to us live, and here comes social media at Chris Salcedo TX, at C-H-R-I-S-S-A-L-C-E-D-O-T-X on Twitter, on Facebook, The Chris Salcedo Show. You'll also find an email link right there on the Facebook page if you want to do things that way. On-demand listening for The Chris Salcedo Show, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. This is this is how you take the Blaze programming and you listen to it on demand. Take it with you. Binge listen, if you will. I know a lot of guys and gals who are doing this now. Basically, they catch up on all of their talk radio for the week on Saturday. I don't, I don't know how they do it, but... This is, this is something that's a thing now. It might be a millennial thing, but anyway, we're all too happy to accommodate your listening needs here on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Chris Salcedo Show, as mentioned, where we are the antidote to the basket of bias, the Brian Williams press. The headline on, uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole dang article to you. Just the headline and the first stanza was enough for me. This snarky little vapid Philip Bump from the Washington Post. Trump now agrees with the majority of Americans. He wasn't ready to be president. At no point over the course of the 2016 campaign did a majority poll think that Donald Trump would be qualified on day one. This is more than in my previous this is more work than in my previous life, he said this week. I thought it would be easier. I do miss my old life. 
let me remind Philip Bump that anybody with any intellectual honesty who has ever entered the White House says you are never prepared for what you what you find when you get into that office. You are never anyone who says I'm ready to be president on day one. They're lying. And everyone who is honest, and this excludes, of course, resident Obama, Mr. Bump. If they're honest, they will tell you this. That it's never what you think it's going to be. Mr. Trump isn't in any special company realizing, hey, this is a, a particular challenge here in my life. Now, he may realize it less than others because others have made a career out of being a politician. And that's not admirable, Mr. Bump. Career politicians, that's not admirable. Making yourself a leech off the American taxpayer is not something to be admired, sir. Oh, I'm ready to be president on day one. Screw you. You have no idea. And neither do you, Mr. Bump. Mr. Snark. Good grief. Get a hobby. Your writing sucks. All right, well, that said, hey, uh, welcome. <laughs> let's get into the, let's get into the flip around. Uh, <laughs> Ellie's like, you, I look over at Ellie's like, okay, kind of twiddling her thumbs, not making eye contact. Okay, what's up? Okay. Oh, yes, let's get into the show now, shall we? Flip around time. Let's get over to, uh, we'll go with CNN first. I wouldn't have said that he, he looked like he was unhappy to be there. What did you think of that? And it was a fascinating comment because it sort of speaks to one of the truths of the presidency that you, you just can't know until you're in it, I think, mm -hmm. that, you know, it is the most powerful position in the world, and yet you have very little autonomy in your sort of personal life and movements and how things play out. There's such a security bubble around you, so much scrutiny on you all the time. And Go figure. CNN, the leader of the basket of bias, happens to be talking about what you and I were just talking about, taking their cue from the left-wing Washington Post. <laughs> oh, miss my old life. Trump, miss my old life. Presidency harder than expected. <laughs> Good grief. It's just, they're, they're trying everything they can to delegitimize him ahead of this this 100-day mark. By the way, I think that's what MSNBS is talking about right now. Senator from the state of New York. Uh, but I asked uh, Leader Schumer whether he thinks that Trump has been successful, that President Trump has been successful in attempting to negotiate with Congress in these first 100 days. Take a look. Looking at his first 100 days, and I know you've been on the phone with the president personally over the course of this uh, spending bill negotiation, do you think he is a great negotiator? So far not. I mean... Ah! His forays into the Congress have been been bad. I mean, that's why I give bad. his his hundred days. <laughs> Chuck Schumer, yeah, his his forays into negotiating with Congress have been bad. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's hard hitting journalism over there at MSNBS. Excuse me, uh, Democrat leader of the uh, the Senate. Uh, do you think the Republican president is a good negotiator? And you're expecting anything other than the answer of, oh, yeah, he's a shrub. He sucks. Really? Oh, groundbreaking journalistic questions right there. Hard-hitting questions. Now, had this been Obama, the question to the Republican leader would be, well, why aren't you working? Why aren't you finding common ground with this president? 
Notice this shrub at MSNBS. None of those questions to the Democrats. It's, it's so, it's so contrived and they're so in the tank for the Democrat party. It's not even funny. Absolutely amazing. Hey, at least the, one of the panelists over on CNN had the intellectual honesty to say, this job isn't at all what it's cracked up to be by anyone. Ronald Reagan, who I would rationalize was probably one of the more prepared individuals after being governor of California to be president. Even he said, man, alive, this, this thing, being president is a whole new ballgame. Nobody is prepared. Uh, oh, and now they have a panel discussion. Gee, let's have a panel discussion on how much uh, President Trump sucks over at MSNBS. I don't think we'll go back and dip into that. Let's go over to Fox. I loved my previous life. I loved my previous life. I had so many things going. I, I, I actually, this is more work than in my previous life. I thought it would be easier. I thought it was more of a, I'm a details-oriented person. I think you would say that. But I do miss my old life. This, I like to work, so that's not a problem. But this is actually more work. President Trump said he used to be able to go out to restaurants and that he enjoyed driving. He says, I can't drive anymore. During that interview, Reuters reporters said the president interrupted himself when he was talking about China and started handing out copies of his 2016 electoral college map. He said they had the latest <laughs> figures showing the parts of the country he won over Hillary Clinton. Let's bring in Fox uh, News Sunday oh, anchor let's Chris talk Wallace. About it, Chris, yes. he does have a fascination with that election and how it turned out. It's almost like he himself can't believe that he won. Well, it is interesting, and he even brought it up again when he was talking to the NRA uh, this afternoon. And <laughs> I, I, one, I think he, he uh, may still be a little bit surprised by it. And, and, you know, I think there's a certain sensitivity there that this continuing talk, whether it's about Russia or stolen votes or whatever, as to whether or not he is the legitimate president, he seems to be the only person who still has any doubts about that. I, I wouldn't say that, Mr. Wallace. There are plenty of folks out there in Berkeley and left-wing bastions all over this country who are constantly yelling, not my president. So uh, maybe he maybe he is among the sane people in this country who maybe can't can't quite wrap his head around. My goodness, look at look at look at what we're into. There's a lot of heady stuff going on for the first uh, couple of months of his of his presidency. Look at all the stuff he has to clean up from when President Obama left behind. President Obama kicking the can down the road. Now you've got a nuclear-capable North Korea that is developing missile technology that can hit California. That's kind, of a, that's kind of a big deal that Obama did nothing to shore up when he was occupying the Oval Office. So, at any rate, uh, let's see. Before we go, let's go to Fox Business. To finish. But then you look at the Shell Revolution and Shell Oil in, in West Texas and, and places like that. That's about seven months. So you got your whole seven and seven oil <laughs> wow. cocktail. And I don't think it's one you want to drink, though. With President Trump signed today, folks, the ability for us to drill offshore, basically reversing Obama era restrictions on energy development. So now as as gratified as I am to see the Obama agenda unwind, as as gratified as I am to see that 
we have now a pro-American president sitting in the Oval Office. I still don't take a great deal of comfort that this is all being done through executive order. Because that means it's temporary. What I am saddened by is the, the continued dysfunction of Republicans in Congress. I'll deal with that coming up on the other side of the break as Republicans are now saying, guess what? Obamacare is here to stay. Back in a minute, the Chris Salcedo Show here on The Blaze. Keep up with the Chris Salcedo Show on Facebook and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Just another way to stay in touch with Chris on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Chris Salcedo Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> yeah, Ellie and I were just talking about, hey, I wonder if uh, the folks at .com are going to, hey, Salcedo, <laughs> out of the shoot calling somebody an a-hole. Let's put that up on the front page. <laughs> hey, you want to get some clicks over there at, at Blaze.com? Put that up there. Huh? <laughs> I, I know they listen over there, too. Because they're forced to. Um, <laughs> look, look, in case you're new to the Salcedo Show, folks, I don't normally start off the show by calling somebody an a-hole. But I, it was, I, had, I had literally seen that article just before getting on the air, and it so infuriated me. It was the first thing that, that jumped into my mind. <laughs> and Ellie's over there. The look on her face. Well, Ellie, why don't you, instead of me telling folks what you thought, you're over there like, oh, Okay. <laughs> We start, we're starting off and oh, it's going to be one of those days, right? Here we go. Here, yeah, here we go. Happy for ha- hey everybody, happy Friday. So and so over the Washington Post is an a hole. Happy Friday. Well, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of one of my favorite movies. You know how to play winning hard nose football? You play football like Ed Gennaro played football. A guy who gave his life for this football team. He was a hundred and forty pound halfback, and he played like a damn wild man. <laughs> No, like a damn rampaging beast. And that's the way you're going to do it. You go out there, you tear their f***ing heads off, and you <laughs> down their necks. Let us pray. <laughs> so, yes, yes, a-hole, Washington Post. Happy Friday, everybody. Let us pray. Uh, 888 900 888-900-3393. So, uh, many of you were probably a little taken aback by, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what, what, what do you mean the GOP has already consigned itself to keep Obamacare? Well, speak, well, let's start off here. Speaker Ryan yesterday addressing the idea that weak-kneed, limp-noodle Northeastern Republicans would lose their seats if they vote to get rid of Obamacare, which, which by the way, they're not doing. They're not getting rid of Obamacare. But uh, the, the, the question came to Paul Ryan, well, you know, Aren't you concerned about these fake Northeastern Republicans who think that they're going to get votes from Democrats in their district or uh, fake Republicans in their district by accepting that we need an entitlement here? Aren't you afraid they're going to get voted out? And we promised that we would do this. If you violate your promise, if you commit the sin of hypocrisy in, in politics, that's the greater risk, I think, to a person's seat. 
So you mean these Republicans inside of their districts who campaigned on repealing Obamacare, they're, the people that elected them didn't mean it? They didn't mean it? Or maybe some of these Northeastern Republicans didn't campaign on repealing Obamacare. Some of these statists in the Republican Party in the Northeast. Jim Jordan revealed, as the Freedom Caucus has come on board with the latest incarnation of this, that they're going to vote for it. By the, all you conservatives out there, you're screwed. The Freedom Caucus has abandoned the idea that we're going to repeal Obamacare. This bill doesn't fully repeal Obamacare, and that's a problem. But it at least gives the states the option who get that waiver to get rid of those regulations. We think this is the best bill that can get out of the House of Representatives, or we wouldn't be supporting it. That's the best the GOP can do with control over the House of Representatives? That's the best? Now, look, I understand why they want to get by this. They want to get by this so they can get the savings and then go do tax reform, which is incredibly important. And we went over this yesterday. I get it. But leaving the, the structure of Obamacare in place, I want to remind all of you that the Salcedo Show axiom says this. It is best not to give government power lest it be abused. You leave that piece of garbage, that albatross, waiting in the wings, and the next leftist who occupies the Oval Office, we are screwed. Look at the damage President Obama did over these last eight years with that damn thing. We don't need an entitlement here. It needs to go. It needs to be gone. You know what? Krauthammer, I think, had a great solution to this. We completely 100% agree. That the House Republicans ought to send up a full repeal bill to the Senate and dare those vulnerable Democrats to filibuster it. And dare them to fill now, 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 granted, that doesn't get it in the rear of your mirror and that won't allow easily tax reform to be done. I understand. I get it. But, man alive, you are trading away. And... I, dollars to donuts, folks. There are there are Republicans out there who believe that if we can just get growth going back, we can afford Obamacare. They are out of their minds. Entitlements and the skyrocketing cost of entitlements, they never go in reverse. They never go in reverse because they are subsidized. You get more of what you subsidize. And you set up this system where Obamacare is accepted. Kiss the country goodbye. Oh, we got to do tax reform. Yeah, tax reform is going to be there, I promise you. But this whole idea, we've got to get the economy going so we can afford all of this nonsensical government. It's idiocy. And, and well, here comes A.B. Stoddard over at Fox News. She is agreeing uh, that, yeah, it's, this, is, this is Obamacare light, that, they're, that now the Freedom, the freedom Caucus, the, cons- the alleged conservatives, they're going to vote for Obamacare light. I mean, look, let's give the administration and the Republican leadership credit for really trying hard and not walking away from the table as the president first threatened to. I think it's incredible that they brought around a bunch of Freedom Caucus members because this is Obamacare light and it is not a repeal. It provides flexibility to the states. Um, but and just explain that a waiver so the states uh, can opt out. The states would have to come back and say, we think that if we don't require our packages to cover maternity and all 
these services, essential benefits is the language everyone keeps hearing, that our customers will get a better bill and it'll be better for our constituents and it'll lower their premiums. And they have to make that case on an individual basis. Here's the problem. Remember when the Democrats passed Obamacare and the Democrats gave themselves and their staff um, roughly 12 grand a year to defer the costs that would definitely go up under Obamacare. Remember that? How, how much we, we said that, that was just uh, deplorable? Well, the GOP said that under this new Obamacare light that they were about ready to vote on, they were going to exempt themselves and their staff. The GOP did this, folks. I'll talk about that coming up. 888-900-3393. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to the Latino conservative, Chris Salcedo, on the Blaze Radio Network. It's Chris Salcedo's show. Welcome to it, everybody. I am your liberty-loving Latino. Do not confuse me with loudmouth leftist Latinos out there. I actually love the United States of America. Let's have a conversation about the president's first 100 days. Richard Manning is the president of Uh, Americans for Limited Government, a group that identifies, exposes, and works with Congress and state legislatures to prevent the continued expansion of government. Manning was a George Bush appointee as the public affairs chief of staff at the U.S. Department of Labor. Mr. Manning, welcome back to the Salcedo Show. Happy to be on. This is a great time to be be talking about what's going on in D.C. Yeah, well, well, it all depends on which which uh, side of government you're looking on. I think there's a good case to be made that if you look over at the White House, there's plenty of room for optimism. When you look at what's happening over in Congress, not so much. But let's talk about Trump. Let's focus on his first 100 days. You wrote a piece for Fox News entitled uh, Trump's First 100 Days, A Crash Course in Creative Destruction. What do you mean by this? Well, in, in capitalism, there's a term called creative destruction. What that means is as, it, as things, as time moves, people figure out bigger, better, faster uh, ways of doing things. And so you end up with the, you know, the buggy whips, uh, manufacturers becoming obsolete and the, uh, and the like. So you have this normal process that exists. President Trump is taking a businessman's look at government and saying, wait a second, it doesn't make any sense to do things the way we've been doing them. That's that's really geared, much of it's geared towards a, not only a 20th century economy, but a 19th century economy. I'm not talking about separation of powers and, and, and regular representative government. I'm talking about the bureaucratic structures that have been put in place back in, ni- in the 1930s that are designed to dealing with an industrial world that no longer have any relevance and, in fact, are, are creating massive um, problems for us economically around the world. All right. So, uh, so, so Donald Trump is basically doing away with the way things have always been done in, in Congress, which I think there's, there is room to say that the, the government and the Congress are emblematic of how it's run today of, of a failure of individuals 
who have not kept up with uh, with the traditions of the uh, of the American style of governance. So he is changing the way things have, quote unquote, always been done. And it's it's shaking things up. And I, and I think it's for a positive effect. Give give me your evaluation of Trump's first 100 days. Well, I think it's I would give him a B, solid B. Um, you know, it's a I think we're redefining this, uh, how, how the 100 days should be looked at. The, the press wants to, a lot of mainstream press wants to look at it, how many bills got passed. Well, I would answer 11 bills, at least 11 bills got passed that struck down Obama regulations and made it so future administrations could never do those kind of regulations again. So those are real bills cast, but they don't count to the left and far left because it isn't a compromise where Chuck Schumer gets to write the bill and the president signs it. So we've got a, the things he's done by taking us out of TPP, by taking a look at the at the bilateral relationships with Canada and Mexico and how those things need to be altered to best fit America's needs and really update them to meet both of those countries' needs also. His decisions to really try to push the envelope in terms of a whole wide variety of executive orders ranging from Keystone XL, the the Dakota Access Pipeline, um, saying that they have to use American steel to build it, um, as a condition, those are all just kind of changing the the way people look at government. But what I think is most impressive to me is he looks at a problem like um, North Korea, which has been with us for since the 1950s, obviously, and but it really was exacerbated when during the Clinton administration when they basically gave North Koreans carte blanche to go off and do whatever they wanted to do, and now. You're looking 20 years later, and you have a, and they're on the verge of having nuclear capability of hitting Japan or even the United States. So he's taking a look at that. He said, "Well, how do I get the Chinese involved? Because you have to have the Chinese involved to make that work." And he held up something the Chinese need, and that's currency manipulation. He said, "You know, we can take a look at this currency manipulation, whether we're going to whether we're going to negotiate it or not. Let's take a look at what you do about the North Koreans. If you do something and eliminate nuclear North Korea." Then we can talk about currency manipulation. And to me, that's being smart. That's looking around corners and figuring out where you've got leverage, using yeah. that leverage to get something done you want to get done. Richard Manning, president of Americans for Limited Government, is our guest right now, folks. And Steve Hilton was on Fox News. Of course, he was a, one of the Brexit guys, was on Fox News and gave this evaluation saying that Trump has surprised him in in a particular arena. Listen to this. And I think perhaps the most surprising thing um, in terms of the expectations is that actually he's done better on the national security front than on the domestic front. People were really concerned about his leadership on the international stage. How would we deal with all the leaders and, and would he be this crazy person running around destabilizing the world? Actually, he's been surprisingly reassuring to a lot of people on the international front. Right. You contrast what how Donald Trump has handled his first a couple of months in office compared to what Obama did. Obama destabilized the entire world by withdrawing American uh, the, the stabilizing force that America is. And then you've got Trump reasserting it and providing stability and, reinsur- and reassurance to to freedom loving peoples all over the globe. And many are surprised that he's he's better on international affairs than he is on domestic well, you see, I'm not surprised, and the reason I'm not surprised is because he fundamentally understands power, and he fundamentally understands deal-making. And as a result, he, sits, he looks at things from a perspective of not 
uh, of not only what other people want, but what's in America's interest. And the single thing that people want in the world is an America that's where they know where America's going to stand on something. That's the stabilizing influence. If we're the anchor, we're the, the core anchor that everything else flies around. And when you have no, when there's no anchor, we're just kind of floating, whatever, depending on what's happening in the world and changing our policies. That's when the world destabilizes because there's nobody to hold it together. You know, like it or not, America is that anchor for the world. And when we have somebody who's clear and concise, sits down with leaders, tells them what he thinks, and they know they can trust to tell them what he thinks, at that juncture, those leaders take that word to the bank, and they are, and they know how, what they can get away with, what they can't get away with, and it provides a platform for deal making. A prime example of what you're talking about is what the president of the United States said just yesterday when it came. To NAFTA, he he basically signaled to Canada and Mexico, hey, we're out. Then all of a sudden the phone rang. They called me and they said, rather than terminating NAFTA, could you please renegotiate? Uh, I like them very much. I respect their countries very much. Uh, the relationship is very special. And I said, I will hold on the termination. Let's see if we can make it a fair deal. If I'm unable to make a fair deal for the United States, meaning a fair deal for our workers and our companies, I will terminate NAFTA. But we're going to give renegotiation a good, strong shot. And, and we, you know, I'm struck by, Richard, is that, that boy, that, that sounds an awful lot like a, a strong leader, and we haven't seen that in eight years in this country. Well, I, I would contend that we haven't seen that kind of forthright determination that we're going to have America first for 20. But it's a, uh, but, you know, yes, I think we have a strong leader that is determined to do what's in America's interest. But he recognizes that you don't take hardline positions with, a, with the idea of, oh, we're just going to stay here. You set the edge and then you negotiate from the edge. And by setting the edge of getting out of NAFTA, and, and let me point this out, through the TPP, which included Mexico and Canada, President Obama was did renegotiate NAFTA under the context of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So this is not a new idea to renegotiate NAFTA. It's yeah. something President Obama was doing through TPP. But by setting the edge and saying, we're going to get out of NAFTA, he now has said, okay, now, it's, now we're having a conversation as to whether or not this is a good agreement at all. Convince me it's a good agreement. You know, show me the money for all intents and purposes. Yeah, exactly. Make this work for everybody. That's how you negotiate. You don't start from the middle and then, then hope you can hold on there. You start from where the the getting out, and then you move from there to create a better deal. And that way, you rethink everything. Everything's on the table, and we're and we're able to get a deal that makes sense for the 21st century um, and for all three countries. Richard Manning, everybody, President of Americans for Limited Government. Always appreciate the visit here on the Salcedo Show. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Bye-bye. When we come back, folks, we'll um, talk a little bit more about the Republicans and they're moving ahead with Obamacare light. This is opening them up to derision. And whereas there is one left winger who I'm not particularly fond of, uh, there, there are left wingers that I like. Uh, uh, I, I don't know why, but Bill Maher, I just like him. Don't agree with him. Don't agree with the dang thing he says, but I like him. Uh, this left winger, I don't even like, but when the side that is supposed to represent my conservative views leaves an opening for this type of derision from a left wing idiot, it really does smart. And we'll play the soundbite for you coming up. The Chris Salcedo Show here on The Blaze. 
He is a liberty-loving Latino conservative. Need we say more? The Chris Salcedo Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Conservative Talk Radio with Spice. Ben, you keep hearing that there are people in the White House, Brian's previous among them, who are pushing to, to push this up as quickly as they can. The 100th day, by the way. The 100th day. They want, they want an additional accomplishment in the first 100 days. This would certainly be it if they could get this through the House. I mean, would it? Uh, welcome back, everybody. It's the Chris Salcedo Show. That's Steve Hayes and, and Brad Baer having a conversation about uh, there was a, some sort of push to get this thing voted on by Saturday, this Obamacare light. And I, I don't know that it would be seen as an accomplishment. It would be, now look, I, I recognize what it is. I also recognize what it isn't. It isn't repeal. It isn't repeal. And this country does not need Obamacare. This country has been harmed by Obamacare. It needs to leave. Government needs to get out of health care and health insurance, period. End of story. So I don't know that this would be a quote-unquote accomplishment. I think if this thing is voted on, Republicans can kiss their majority goodbye in the House of Representatives in 2018. As a matter of fact, they, they, they will not have won this show over. That's for sure. I mean, I, I, the question, I think, is will the moderates ultimately come around? I don't think, I mean, they're complaining that the bill's gone too far to the right. I mean, the moderates, many of the moderates were making that complaint with the original. Too far to the right? Why does this have to be a, uh, a right-left discussion among Republicans? Well, I'm a moderate Republican. What the hell does that mean? What, you, you like statism? Is that what you like? You, 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 like, you like government to get involved somewhat in people's private health care? Really? Version of this. And I don't think the tweak has been that significant, as Jim Jordan suggested. But it's been enough to get some House Freedom Caucus members on board. The other question is, will you see the media covering these moderates as obstinate and intransigent and, and angry the way that they always do the Freedom Caucus? You get his point there, right? When, when the Freedom Caucus said no the first go-around after 18 days of debate. When the Freedom Caucus said no, well, the media said, oh, they're just these conservatives who say no to everything. Say no to everything. Now, will they say, will they say that kind of thing to the, the John McCain equivalents in the House of Representatives? Remember, John McCain, because he stabs conservatives in the back, the, the, the basket of bias, Brian Williams Press, they love him. Until he runs against a Democrat, then they then they hate his guts. But you understand, anybody that is tilting more to their way of thinking, I mean the press, they adore. And they won't besmirch or bemoan the same way that um, was done to conservatives in the Freedom Caucus. But I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why the Freedom Caucus has, has folded up their tents on this one. Now, I mentioned left-wingers taking full advantage of what the Republican Party has done. And one of the aspects of this, which is true, 
they've exempted themselves from Obamacare 2.0, Obamacare Light. The new revised plan, uh -huh. unlike Obamacare, under the new plan, individual states would be allowed to not cover pre-existing conditions. Okay, it'll be like state by state. Yeah, 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 it's, it's not a good deal. That's why New Hampshire is changing their license plate from live free or die to live here and die. <laughs> and in preparation for this passing, just in case, yesterday the House GOP exempted themselves from zombie Trump care. No, listen, hey, 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 no, do not be too hard on these guys. You have to understand. They all would have lost their coverage because being a bag is a pre-existing condition for these guys. Uh, on that second point, I've got to agree with Colbert. Exempting yourselves from the rules you're going to impose on the rest of the country. Yeah, that's kind of a D-bag thing to do. By the way, on his first part of his statement, and you've got to forgive Stephen Colbert, he's a left-wing moron. The new revised plan, uh -huh. unlike Obamacare, under the new plan, individual states would be allowed to not cover pre-existing conditions. See, states don't cover people, Mr. Colbert. Uh, that's supposed to be the job of private insurance companies. The government isn't supposed to cover your health care. The government's not supposed to be involved in this stuff, Mr. Colbert. No, no, forget. You're, you're a left-wing kook, and I get it. And I understand uh, why why you're under this misconception that government's supposed to be in every facet of our lives. You socialist moron! But in America, where capitalism is supposed to be the way things are supposed to go. It's the private sector who's supposed to do the insuring, and the states are supposed to keep their big, fat noses out of it. But the Republicans, in the way they conduct themselves, leave themselves wide open to idiots like Colbert, so what can you do? Chris Salcedo Show, part of Generation Blaze, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Batches? I don't have to show you any stinking batches! This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. President Obama is uh, out there at one of his two $400,000 an hour speech speeches saying that uh, Obamacare is more, more popular than Trump. CNN is, now, again, it's CNN reporting it, so I, you can take it with a grain of salt. But uh, if this isn't another example of fake news, then resident Obama is gloating a little bit at the ineffectiveness of Republicans in, um, in Congress. That he, now, the reason why his, his signature health care law, his signature piece of garbage, is more popular now than it had been in his, his entire occupation of the Oval Office is because people are worried about what's going to happen. There's too much change. And going back, people are really, really concerned about what's going to replace Obamacare. And you know what? The GOP isn't doing much to instill confidence in anybody, are they? Uh, least of all, conservatives. 
But anyway, you got Barack Obama out there with some snark. He uh, screwed America, one-sixth of the U.S. economy, and now he's <laughs> grinning from big ear to big ear. President Obama is. By the way, about those speeches, he, uh, he, he gave his first $400,000-an-hour speech. By the way, you guys do a little quick math. I, one of the listeners of the Chris Salcedo Show in Houston texted me this. Just really quickly, do 400000 and divide by 60. Now, this is, this is the price per minute that President Obama is receiving for giving one of his speeches. The math works out to 666. 666. $6,666.66. I thought it was interesting, to say the least. But aside from the biblical reference, President Obama, after eight years of decrying people with money, after bashing people for their success, here he comes making $6,666.66 a minute. A minute. Uh, we put this out to you yesterday. How long does it take you guys within the sound of my voice to make four hundred large? $400,000. Well, he's booked a second speech for $400,000. <laughs> They're such hypocrites. These leftists, such hypocrites. And uh, here comes President Obama gloating that the damage that he did to America with Obamacare may be permanent. And he's happy about it because it's all about him. You know, it's his legacy. It's all about him. Telephone numbers, 888 I want to talk about Secretary Tillerson in an interview he gave yesterday coming up in short order, but it's, it is desk-clearing day, so some things I wanted to get into that I didn't have a chance uh, during the course of the week. Bill O'Reilly has started a podcast uh, getting into the realm of uh, complete digital media, which is, of course, what the Blaze Radio Network is. And uh, this is what he said about his ongoing controversy about sexual harassment and the reason why he no longer has a job at the Fox News Channel. I am sad that I'm not on television anymore. I was very surprised how it all turned out. I can't say a lot because there's much stuff going on right now. But I can tell you that I'm very confident the truth will come out. And when it does, I don't know if you're going to be surprised, but I think you're going to be shaken as I am. There's a lot of stuff involved here. Now, I can't say any more because I just don't want to influence the flow of the information. All right, so there's that. So that's the latest from O'Reilly. I haven't listened to any of his podcasts, and it's not because I, I necessarily have an aversion to it. Just uh, typically, uh, well, we're busy. <laughs> we have three shows to put on every single day. So uh, we just we spend a lot of our time, when we're not talking to you, doing a lot of a lot of prep on the program. Uh, Guy Benson, he's um, one of the one of the good conservative thinkers over at Town Hall. He was on with Fox News and didn't get a lot of press. This ABC poll that came out this week, 
that showed that, yes, Donald Trump has some some polling issues and some confidence issues. But if the election were held today, if the election were held today, that Trump would still win. And not only would he win the Electoral College, he'd also win the popular vote. And Guy Benson commented on this. Yeah, people marching in the streets. You see it all over social media. You would get a sense from the coverage that there is massive, widespread buyer's remorse with President Trump. And this poll suggests that that's just not the case. In fact, Trump, if we did a redo today, would win by a larger margin over Hillary Clinton. So, look, the Russia stuff is interesting. It ought to be investigated. There's the Comey discussion that's come up yet again, a lot of liberals pointing to him and blaming him. I think what we're seeing now is even with a very controversial president whose numbers in that poll internally not very good would still defeat Mrs. Clinton. Maybe she was just a really lousy candidate and people still recognize that. So maybe Obamacare is more popular now than Hillary Clinton. I think herpes is more popular right now than Hillary Clinton. I'm just saying. Why Why did you cringe like that? (laughs) Sorry. Uh, on, on another <laughs> on another front, uh, Michael Flynn. Boy, did this guy screw the pooch or what? Not uh, 2015. The guy goes over apparently without permission to to Russia to receive some cash and to speak at an event to get paid by the Russians at one of their propaganda arms. And he didn't do all the stuff he was supposed to do. Now, look, they're trying to tie Flynn to Trump when he did this. It was 2015. It was 2015. The last job at that point that Michael Flynn had was in the Obama administration. Okay, number one. Number two, if it turns out that Michael Flynn was sympathetic to the Russians, well, how is that any different than any other Democrat in the Obama administration? Obama spent his entire occupation of the Oval Office bending, bending over backward for Vladimir Putin, never opposing anything Vladimir Putin did. Vladimir Putin had run of the world when Obama was occupying the Oval Office. Hillary Clinton made sure that the Russians got 20% control of our, of the nation's, of our nation's nuclear stockpile. There... They couldn't do enough for Vladimir Putin in the Obama White House. So if Flynn is found to have been sympathetic to the Russians, he's just how is he dissimilar from any one of these folks who populated the Obama White House? I think it's a fair question to ask now about the vetting process that had that that hired. Michael Flynn, Trump's Trump's vetting process that made him national security advisor. Here's what Spicer had this to say. He he was issued a security clearance under the Obama administration in the spring of 2016. The uh, trip and and, uh, transactions that you're referring to occurred in December of 2015. So what Spicer is saying here is that that Flynn, after taking this trip and getting a chunk of money from the Russians, was re- his security clearance was renewed by the Obama administration. So the Trump administration said, well, uh, it was just renewed by Obama that Flynn must be okay. 
And that was your mistake, Mr. Trump. That was your that was your mistake, President Trump. Sean Spicer, look, if Obama and his crew did it, chances are they screwed it up. And if they vetted somebody, if Team Obama vetted somebody, chances are they're anti-American kooks. So this excuse that you're giving, Sean Spicer, well, Obama vetted him, screw that. If Obama vetted him, that should have been a red flag right away saying, hey, there's something wrong with this guy. If Obama vetted him. Don't don't fall back on, oh, well, Team Obama vetted these people. They must be okay. The people that served in the Obama administration, a lot of them are anti-American leftist kooks. Now, I'm not saying... That's who Flynn is. The jury is still out. I'm just saying, don't offer it as an excuse. Well, Obama, Obama was a screw-up. Obama was a massive screw-up who harmed this country. Don't use him as an excuse. Well, we thought Obama took care of it. Obama didn't take care of a damn thing. Other than putting this country behind the eight ball, which seemed to be his agenda, his entire occupation of the Oval Office. I'll be back in a minute. The next generation of talk radio. The Chris Salcedo Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo. Folks, there's a open talk now about a, a conservative network that is, uh, that is developing, possibly. I just read an article on Vox. No, oh, it wasn't Vox. It was uh, Axios. And... I uh, Mediaite is also reporting on on something similar that because because Fox is seen as going left because the Murdoch sons who are dedicated Democrats the Murdoch sons are um are, are taking the network in a different direction, i.e. Uh, treating conservatives and Republicans like pariahs and tailoring news to be more, basically making themselves MSNBS. That there there is an effort among certain folks who have been displaced recently to launch a competing network that will not treat conservatives like pariahs. Uh, one already exists, by the way. It's the Blaze, and uh, we had given the heads up to many that if if the Murdoch sons go down this ill-fated road just to make themselves, you know, one one voice amidst the entire biased press universe, then 
it's a bad business decision and a bad business move, but they'll just be relegated to, you know, uh, obscurity. And then there will be a wide open market there for a conservative network with conservative commentary and a news operation that is straight down the middle. And which was was the model for the Fox News Channel, but not anymore. It is alleged. I am not, I have no inside information over at Fox. I have no, um, I have friends over there, but I, I don't, I don't know what they're planning. I don't, I, I can't confirm to you, oh, this is the way they're going to go, but it's being, it's suspected. Let's put it that way. It's widely suspected. Secretary of State, speaking of Fox, Rex Tillerson sat down with uh, one of the finest journalists in the business right now, Brett Baer. And wanted to make sure that uh, that everybody knew that everything was not okay with the Iranians in the United States. I mean, people were questioning, wait a minute, if you said that Iran appeared to be complying with this Iran nuke deal that Obama threw together, uh, how can you also state that things are going wrong? Well, he he explains himself a little bit here, but you know, I think what he tried tried to say without necessarily saying it is that the whole premise of the uh, Obama's Iran nuke deal, which is to gift the number one state sponsor of terror billions of taxpayer dollars and then um, uh, a nuclear weapon at the end of the decade, that that was the wrong way to go. Here's Tillerson on with Fox. The White House's perspective was we cannot think about Iran in, in terms of the JCPOA alone, and I agree with that. And I think one of the flaws behind the entire JCPOA process is it seemed to have been carried out to the exclusion of all the other aspects of Iran's behavior as a state sponsor of terrorism, uh, their disruptive behavior throughout the region. What he's saying is, is that President Obama ignored all the barbarism and the bloodshed that Iran did, had continued to do, and continues to do to this day. The important thing to, Obama didn't care how bloodthirsty they were, how many Americans they killed, how many American allies they killed. Barack Obama couldn't care less. All he needed to do was to get the Ayatollah American taxpayers' dollars, and and he set out to do that. And he ignored everything else. Iran is a serious threat to the U.S. today and to stability in the region. And I think the concern was that issuing a 90-day statutory requirement indicating compliance on the JCPOA was going to signal that somehow everything was okay with Iran and us, and it is not okay between Iran and us. JCPOA, the joint proposed, basically it's the Iran nuke deal. Um, Tillerson describing the relationship with Secretary Mattis. And I, I loved this part of the interview. You know, Tillerson, as you all know, wasn't my first choice. I'm, I was a Bolton. I am a Bolton guy. But when I heard, which this is rare, because usually Secretary of, Secretaries of State and Secretaries of Defense are at loggerheads, regardless of, of administration. But these two... Secretary Mattis and Secretary Tillerson, they seem to be getting along very well, and this bodes well for the United States. Your relationship with Defense Secretary Mattis and your communication, how much do you all talk? 
well, I had dinner with him last night. I had breakfast with him this morning. Uh, when, when we are not traveling, uh, the secretary and I speak essentially every day. Uh, I, would, I, I won't, don't want to go so far as to say we're joined at the hip, but neither one of us makes a move without calling the other. And I would tell you, it's, it's really one of the most rewarding uh, relationships I have at this time in the cabinet. This is, uh, this is good news for you and me, folks, that you have two high-caliber, high-quality individuals who are, who are coordinating, who are making sure that left hand knows what right hand is doing. And uh, that was, this was probably one of the greatest points out of this entire interview. I was uh, incredibly buoyed by this. Uh, Tillerson also tells Fox News Channel what China is doing to bring pressure on the North Koreans. There is significant communication going on weekly between ourselves and our counterparts in China. We, are, we know that China is in communications with the regime in Pyongyang. Uh, they confirmed to us that they had requested the regime conduct no further nuclear test. And in fact, we were told by the Chinese that they informed the regime that if they did conduct for the nuclear test, China would be taking sanctions actions on their own. So I think the Chinese seem to be willing to work with us. We hope they are. Uh, we believe that they are an important element to us causing the regime to take a different view towards future talks. We talked about this yesterday, too, folks, on the program that I uh, that that China seems to be leaning toward doing something, but I, I don't know that, th- that they're doing quite enough. Um, but apparently there were some things that we didn't know about, and Mr. Tillerson seems to be satisfied, maybe not with what they're doing at this point, but their trajectory. And um, I'm still on board with, with Krauthammer and others who say, you know what? The best way to really get them off their duff and to get a quick resolution to this is signal that we're going to put nukes back into Japan or back into South Korea and put nukes in Japan. And that will, how did Obama put it, change their calculus right away? Be right back. You're listening to The Chris Salcedo Show. Part of Generation Blaze on the Blaze Radio Network. Salcedo is on the Blaze Radio Network. Holy Hannah, I forgot to call Mary Mary Ramirez. (laughs) If I can just actually talk today. Uh, We will be dialing her up momentito here on the Chris Salcedo Show. So don't don't worry. She'll be along. And she's probably sitting by her phone uh, as we speak. As a matter of fact, there, there she is. Hi, Mary Ramirez. How are you? Hello, Chris. How are you? I bet you thought I forgot you, didn't you? I was sort of sitting here you know, <laughs> drowning in my own tears. And, you know, yes, yeah. no. <laughs> yes, because you are such a wallflower. And we know how. Huh. Yes. Hey, how are, how are you this fine Friday? I, I'm doing good. You know, I've been up since about 3 in the morning, Chris, because my family and I are, are down here in Texas. So we caught an, an early morning flight and, and came down your way. It's beautiful. You are in my neck of the woods. It is a beautiful spring day in Texas. Uh, I'm sure much is. of Texas, yes. Gorgeous. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. <laughs> 
stop it. It's gorgeous. So, uh, uh, folks, for, for those of you who are new to the program, Mary Ramirez, longtime contributor. She is a she works magic with the fingers on the keyboard. She actually writes things and quite eloquently too, and well, think- often thought provoking. And uh, we we feature her once a week to uh, tell us what's going on in her world. So, what are you writing about this week? Well, Chris, you know, I mentioned Texas, and uh, as you know, I've, I've talked about this before. I've got some family members that are in law enforcement down here in Texas, and they they brought something to my attention that I thought was pretty cool. And there's a there's a sheriff's department in in Collin County, which is, I believe, your neck of the woods, sort of northeast Dallas area, and uh, there's a deputy there that that saw an interesting need. And he started something called the Sheriff Fund, and it's short for the Sheriff's Homefront Emergency Relief Initiative for Family uh, in, in Collin County. And what this essentially does is, or what it's, what it's going to do, it actually launches today, um, is they're going to proactively raise money and um, emotional support resources and all sorts of other things uh, to, to be there for their officers, for their 911 dispatchers, for their, their jailers, whoever else is involved in law enforcement in Collin County to be there for them when, uh, rather before tragedy strikes. And, and one of the things that really spearheaded this was, um, Chris, I think you had one of the Collin County deputies on, on your local show here in the, uh, the Dallas area who had his home blown away, not once, but twice by tornadoes. I know it's crazy. Yeah, folks, exactly. so, just take it back. This guy was building this house. He didn't take a loan out. He was building it basically board by board. He would work. He'd make some money. Oh, I can buy some lumber. So he bought some lumber and he would finish a section, uh, a section of the house. Didn't take mm-hmm. out a loan. So mm-hmm. here comes mother nature and it, and it happens in parts of Texas. You get, uh, you know, some tornadic activity, uh, mm-hmm. especially during the spring months, wipes out his house. So he starts building again. again. Well, and mind you, he yeah. and his son are, sons are living in a trailer while they're doing this. Right. They don't even have a proper home. While no, no insu- by the way, no insurance. No insurance. Right. So right. he starts building again. He gets the sticks up. He starts and, and uh, doggedly rebuilding things. And then Mother Nature strikes again. again. Same deal. And, and th- this guy's like, man, alive. Hey, did he take did he take out insurance a second time or did, did he have a, an easier time the second time? I, I didn't get that second part of the story. You know that I'm not sure of what happened the second time. Yeah. I know that that the community rallied around him and and actually, you know, I think there was a, a construction company that actually came in. And oh God, love him! Finished it a third time. Oh, absolutely, it's amazing. Yeah. But you know, yeah, this guy has lightning strike not once but twice in the same place. Literally, and, and yes. you know, and, and the community's fantastic, right, Chris? You know this. I mean, the community, especially here in in, in Texas, really do support law enforcement and, and support what they do. Um, but you know, they had to do it after the fact, right? And th- th- what's so critical about this is that it's not what this fund does. It's not just about getting them money that they need to rebuild a house or you know, uh, visit a sick, dying relative or you know, get treatment that they can't afford. It's Chris, because you know this so well, law enforcement, their job is so taxing as it is because they deal with what all of us, I mean, we never dream of what they deal with. The abuse, the rape, the murder, the, the, the theft, just the swill of society. So when they've got this other stuff weighing on them, that's that can affect life or death split second decisions. It's kind of like, Chris, um, there's been all this discussion recently uh, about different airline regulations and, and, you know, what pilots can and can't do, you know, and, and one of the things they can and can't do is um, they have to have 12 hours of sleep between their flights. So that's a FAA regulation so that when they're flying the plane, 
they are not in any way affected by exhaustion. Well, that very same principle applies to law enforcement. If they are distracted by a personal tragedy or need of some kind, their ability to help us to keep themselves safe and to keep us safe is, is really greatly diminished. And so that's what this fund is supposed to do. And it's why it caught my attention. I, I know there's a few like it. Um, I know there's one like it up in Minnesota where I live. Um, but I don't, I, I'm not sure I've heard about it a lot. And I, I think it's kind of a novel idea. Um, but yeah, it's launching today. I've got a piece up on it uh, on my blog um, with links to both the uh, the website and their Facebook page. They're selling things like t-shirts right now, but I think they're going to be hosting events in the future like 5Ks and other community outreach programs. Because so it really this, could is be also, a, this could be a template for other communities to, to emulate. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and in fact, I mentioned that in the piece. If you are in law enforcement and you see this need in your community, because it's really everywhere. Right. Um, call up the department and find out how they did it, because I know there's a lot that goes into this. I did, you know, did a little research into what all they had to do. There's a lot that goes into setting up a nonprofit bet, and banking accounts and so on. But boy, they're doing great. They've got some exciting people that are, you know, coming along for the ride and, uh, you know, working to sponsor them and so on. So um, it's it's a neat idea for not just Collin County, Texas, but really the country. Well, there you go. Well, what's the name of the piece and where can we find it? Yes, Chris. So head over to my blog, futurefree.com, and it's called Helping Those Who Help Us All, the Sheriff Fund. Nice. Mary Ramirez, everybody. Have a great weekend, and welcome to the great state of Texas. I'm loving it. Thank right. you, Chris. All right, lady. Talk to you later. Uh, telephone number is 888 folks. Uh, there is a, we were talking earlier how the Republicans seem to be failing miserably uh, at keeping their promises. Well, Trump isn't. Trump isn't, and he is fulfilling one of those promises uh, with a directive that he just signed this week, as two days ago. Maybe a day, yeah, it was two days ago. President Trump signed an executive order to start pulling the federal government out of K-12 through education, following through on a campaign promise to return control of schools to state and local officials. The order doubled the, edu- uh, dubbed rather, the Education Federalism Executive Order will launch a 300-day review of Obama-era regulations and guidance for school districts and directs Education Secretary Betsy DeVos to modify or repeal measures measures she sees as overreaching by the federal government. Uh, Washington Times putting this out. So it's, uh, it's great to have localized control put back into education. That's where it, really, where it belongs. And the federal government will just uh, block grant education money and say, hey, you guys, you guys educate as best you can in your states. Tailor your education system to best fit your people. And the federal government shall not intrude. Now, with that being said, there will be varying degrees of success on the local level. Uh, Out in California, that means absolutely nothing. Out in California, whether resident Obama was forcing garbage down your throat or, you know, if if California gets control of that money, well, they get to do the same kind of garbage, which is, you know, hey, it's part of the, the laboratory of ideas. But even in states like Texas. There are some issues, and I think I've made mention of this on the program before, but I wanted to this is a a major contention for the Chris Salcedo show, we are big proponents of school choice. That we do not believe the state is the best arbiter 
on how to best educate children. I, I believe that decision-making process belongs in the hands of parents, those who care the most about their children, not the state. Now, the way it works is that there's a dollar figure that is attached to each child in this, in this country, federal and state money. My contention is, is that that dollar figure ought to follow that child, and that child ought to be able to go wherever they, the parents wish and cash that check. Right now, only government-run institutions can cash that money in, and it's wrong. And it leads to when you know, what entitlement always leads to, laziness, poor performance. And that's what you're seeing in the government-run schools right now. There's also another element of this that has to do with religion. And it goes something like this, and you guys probably recognize this mantra. I don't want my taxpayer money going to any religious institution. I don't want those Catholics getting any of my taxpayer money. I don't want those Christians or those Jews getting any of my taxpayer money. This... uh religious bigotry that is on full display primarily on the left, but even some folks who fancy themselves conservatives are afflicted by this prejudice. Um, It's a serious problem that somehow because your child may be educated in a, in a system that doesn't disparage or bemoan God, that somehow they're not worthy, that somehow they're like dirt on your shoe it is something that we need to beat back and for more reasons than one. Ronald Reagan was speaking in, in Dallas in 1984 at an ecumenical breakfast. And he pointed out through a, a series of speeches how in the 1960s things started to change and how uh, school prayer was banned from the classroom that children couldn't even voluntarily pray to God inside of a government-run institution without getting into trouble. Now, that is that is still the same today, except for one religion. Islam is permitted to, to, as a matter of fact, they set aside private rooms so that Islam's children can go and pray. But that's same, in, in many school districts around this country. But the same accommodation is not made for Christians and Jews. You might want to check out your local government-run institution to see if they do this. But there's a, there's a very practical reason why we should have individuals of faith being brought up in an educated system. And here's what Reagan said. We need religion as a guide. We need it because we are imperfect. And our government needs the church because only those humble enough to admit they're sinners can bring to democracy the tolerance it requires in order to survive. In other words, only a moral and just people are suited to execute the Constitution of the United States, our form of government. You must have a morality. Without that morality, you get Obama. Without that morality, you get Clinton. Without that morality, you get left-wingers. I'll wrap up the show coming up next on The Blaze Radio Network. Be right back. He is quickly becoming the left's favorite pinata. 
Only problem is, this pinata hits back. Chris Salcedo oh, on the Blaze Radio Network. to the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. I submit to you that the tolerance society is open to and encouraging of all religions. And this does not weaken us. It strengthens us. It makes us strong. You know, if we look back through history to all those great civilizations, those great nations that rose up to even world dominance and then deteriorated, declined, and fell, we find they all had one thing in common. One of the significant forerunners of their fall was their turning away from their God or gods. Without God, there is no virtue because there's no prompting of the conscience. Without God, there is no virtue because there is no prompting of the conscience. Meaning, if you don't believe that there's a higher power, you can treat people like crap because all you focus on is this life and getting ahead in this life. You, uh, you have no higher calling. Get what you can get. It's, it's why liberals exist. Liberals exist to, to get what they can get because many of them aren't religious people and don't look uh, beyond to a higher power. They don't believe in it. They, they are focused on themselves. They are their power. Without God, we're mired in the material that flat world that tells us only what the senses perceive. Without God, there is a coarsening of the society. And without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. The coarsening of the society, as indicated by a Blaze story that was written by Dave Urbanski. High school officials screams at teen pro-life activists. I don't give a F what you think. Jesus tells me this high school official in Pennsylvania screams. This is a prime example of why I am so concerned and so agitated and am so passionate about calling out these religious bigots who want to deny us choice in education. Because there is no, there is no way I would subject myself, my children to the likes of assistant principal Zach Ruff in Pennsylvania to my children. Because, well, there you go. Lack of a conscience, lack of morality, right there on full display. Hey, remember, folks, society's worth isn't measured by how much power is seized by an out-of-control government, but rather how much power is reserved for we, the people. Have a great weekend. Back here on Monday on The Blaze. You're listening to The Chris Salcedo Show. Part of Generation Blaze on The Blaze Radio Network.